and open your Bibles, please, to uh, Matthew chapter 2. A few years ago, uh, our church was given the opportunity to air a program on a local AM radio station that's KRPI. Wasn't that the name of a show on a television show, too? Yeah, KRPI, okay. KRPI, AM 1550. You probably don't listen to this station because it broadcasts in a different language. And uh, at uh, 6 o'clock on Sunday mornings right now, uh, that language stops and it says, Welcome to Hope for Life, a broadcast ministry of the First Baptist Church of Ferndale. And, uh, you know, we got free airtime, so we started putting together a program, and it's been on there uh, for a number of years. And a few years after it was on, my, my secretary at the time, Sarah, intercommed over and she said, do you know a guy named Gandhi? <laughs> and I thought, well, I know of a guy named Gandhi, but no, we're not personally acquainted. And he said, well, this guy named Gandhi, he wants to talk to you on the phone. And I immediately thought of a pastor friend who will do that kind of thing. He'll call up and have a funny voice and tell a funny story and want to talk to the pastor or whatever. So I thought, okay, I'll bite. So I said, I'll talk to him, wherever it is, you know. So here's this person talking with an accent uh, typical of the name Gandhi and told me his name was Gandhi and listened to our radio program. I said, oh, do you live in Vancouver? Because this radio station broadcasts up to Vancouver. And he said, no, I live in... Toronto or somewhere like that and he said uh, this radio this this program is rebroadcast all over the world on the internet and I saw on their website this week that it said it is South Asia's number one voice (laughs) now you know why I don't use the names of places when I'm uh, talking but uh So uh, this fellow had been listening to our program and couldn't find a certain set of sermons on the website, and he was looking for them, and so I helped him, you know, hooked him up, and we uh, helped him find that. And and I was really glad that I didn't say something funny or stupid. (laughs) Hey, Gandhi, what's up, you know? (laughs) Hello, Pastor Dave. I received him seriously as I should have. Jesus was received when he came to this earth in many ways. And we want to look at a few of those ways today and consider how we receive him and how we uh, welcome him into our life. We're going to start with Matthew chapter 2, passage that we also looked at last week, but we're going to think about it from just a little different angle. Matthew 2, starting in verse 1, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. 
Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, he determined from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Well, of course, Herod didn't have worship in his heart. Verse 16 tells us what he had in his heart. The wise men left a different way because God warned them to do so. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, they didn't come back to him and tell him where to find the Christ child. He was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem in all of its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Herod received Christ with indignation. Herod was called the king of the Jews, but in reality it would have been more accurate to call him the king of Judea, which would have been the, roughly the territory assigned to the tribe of Judah, which would have been around Jerusalem. We would think of it as the area of a county or something like that. And he was the king of that area, but he was so insanely attached to his position and power that he had many people murdered to make sure no one would try to take his place. He had his wives, uh, he had one of his wives and her mother murdered. He had one of his brother-in-laws murdered. He had all of his own sons murdered. He didn't want anyone to interrupt his life as king at all. When Herod heard these wise men, these foreigners, people from the east, asking, where, they didn't say, where is this baby born? They said, where is he born that is the king of the Jews? When Herod heard that, he went, internally, he went, there is one king of the Jews, and you're looking at him, buddy. And he was, he was hot. Scripture says he was so upset that all of Jerusalem was upset with him. That's really upset. Herod gave the coldest reception possible to Christ. He was full of jealous fear. He was so full of jealous fear that he would go on to murder all of these baby boys in this area where he thought Jesus was living. Of course, Jesus had been moved out of there already by God's warning. Herod believed that if he lost his power and position, his life would be ruined. It was similar to what the religious leaders of Jesus' day thought. If we let, this is them talking about Jesus, if we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a terrible thing? And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. There's the real rub. They said, he, if we leave him alone, he will rise up, everybody will follow him, and we'll be out. We won't be the leaders anymore. And from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. In other words, every time they got together, every time they had a leader, a meeting of the old boys club of Israel, they said, how are we going to get rid of this guy? How are we going to get rid of this guy? All they could think of is if we let him in, we're not in charge anymore. Like Herod, they had a no trespassing sign on their heart. Stay out. Don't come close. He had no interest in even thinking about someone other than himself being in charge of his life. 
Now, the contrast with that is Joseph. Joseph received Christ with submission. Turn back a page in your Bible to Matthew chapter 1. Verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed or engaged to Joseph, before they came together, before they had the wedding, before they had sex, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Now remember, this is the narrator talking. This is, the, this is Matthew, years later, writing this down. And then Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, a just man, and not wanting to make of her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and then they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not have relations with her until she brought forth her firstborn son, Jesus, and he called his name Jesus. We need to understand uh, Mary's condition if we would really appreciate how God asked Joseph to turn his world upside down. We look back and we read this and go, oh, Joseph, what a cool guy looking, you know, and, and we think he heard this and went, oh, yeah, whatever. And, and uh, like, like he never had any conflict over obeying God. Like we're the only one that struggles to obey, but Joseph and Mary, well, they were Bible people, you know, they did all that stuff. The reality of, his, of Mary's condition was one of three bad choices. The first one we could just broadly call impurity. Impurity would mean that she was found with child and essentially she had gotten pregnant before the engagement. And you'll see why I verse it that way here. Because the second possibility was adultery. The engagement that they had, which was common for the day, was a legally binding agreement. You know, we have a, uh, an engagement ring like Andrew gave to Andrea last week. Uh, our little Andrew, all grown up and engaged. <laughs> and to us, the engagement ring is, is a promise like, hey, I'm, we're going to get married and uh, it's a plan and so on. But in that day, it was like signing a legal document. And in fact, do you see here, Joseph took to him his wife and did not know her until after the child was born. So in that engagement period, it was a very significant thing. And, and uh, it, it was not nearly as lightly taken as ours is today. And so if she had had sex outside of her relationship to Joseph, it would have been called adultery during their engagement. And of course, the third possibility is rape. Now, which one of those is a good possibility? We look sympathetically 
on people who have been raped. In that day, not so much. Okay. Now, what was the Old Testament uh, penalty for these first two? Death. Do you understand now when Joseph said, he, he, he said, whoa, she's pregnant. And he said, I'm going to put her away. That is the New Testament word based on an Old Testament concept, which really means divorce. Okay, So he, he came and said, well, she's pregnant. I've got to divorce her. That would be a legal breaking of the engagement. That's the only thing an honorable man would have done in that day. That's the only thing an honorable man would have done. See, we look at it in our uh, mature American way and say, well, the most honorable thing would be to marry her and take care of that child. It would be noble, but it would not have been honorable by their standards. God came along and said, Joseph, I know you're a righteous man, and you're engaged to marry, and I have made her pregnant, and I want you to marry her. I know people are going to look at you and say, hey, Joseph, getting in a little work ahead of time. They're going to look at you and say, hey, Joseph, what, what's up, dude? I know you. I know you wouldn't have done this. What's she been doing? There was nothing easy about this. And, and, and in fact, you see that his inclination is to divorce her. His inclination is not to go, oh, whatever. This was a big deal. God said, Joseph, I want you to sacrifice your reputation for me. But he didn't just ask him to sacrifice his reputation. Look at the end of this passage. Something else that I don't think we get at all about the sacrifice Joseph was asked to make. To make. Um, verse 21, the angel is speaking to him. Mary's going to bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus. Now we look at that and go, oh, wonderful, the name of Jesus, God saves, and oh, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Do you know what the custom was in the day? If you have a son, especially a firstborn son, you give him your own name. Look at this episode from the life of Zacharias and Elizabeth and their child who was John the Baptist. Now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered and she brought forth a son and when her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. So it was on the eighth day, that was the day of circumcision when the name was officially given, they came to circumcise the child and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. Oh, look at little Zacky, he's beautiful. And his mother said, no, don't call him Zacharias, call him John. And they said, what in the world is wrong with you? There's nobody in your family. You haven't just gone outside of his dad's name. There's nobody in your whole family named John. So they made signs to his father. Remember, the father had been made dumb because of his lack of belief in this miracle that was coming. They made signs. He asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. So they all marveled. They went... So when, Jesus, when, when God said, Joseph, name him Jesus. <sighs> Joseph, when I can't even call him by my own name, my firstborn son, God asked him to give up his reputation 
and part of his connection to his firstborn son. To have a boy from the Old Testament way of thinking, the, the, the people of God, to have a boy was a special blessing from God. For the firstborn to be a boy was an extra special blessing from God. And, and to not name him with your own name. Do you suppose anybody said to Joseph, couldn't put your name on that illegitimate child, could you, bud? Named him, named him after his real father, huh? And Joseph said, as a matter of fact, <laughs> nobody would have understood that, even if he'd have explained. Well, let me tell you how this really happened here, folks. Right. We look back with these spiritual romantic eyes and we don't realize there was a great sacrifice asked of Joseph. You know that the, the, the intimation of being illegitimate stayed with Jesus. Remember this from the Pharisees? They said to him, you do the deeds of your father. Then they said, or he said, you do the deeds of your father. They said to him, we were not born of fornication. They were implying that he was born of fornication. He was illegitimate. Look at Matthew 124. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. Joseph did what God asked, even though it required him to let go of the control of his life, to let go of his reputation, to let go of his pride and his son. And he lived in a way that, that Christ asks all of us to live. Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, to be my disciple, to follow me, let him deny himself. You cannot be a Herod and be a Christian. You cannot put up a no trespassing sign on the front door and say, now, Jesus, I know you're out there. I know you do some good things. And, you know, I'm going to hang out with your people a little bit, but stay out. You've got to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? What did Herod get for all of his pride and self-control and pushing away of the Savior? What did he get? Hell and this terrible reputation. Nobody goes back and goes, hey, I'm going to name my kid Herod. I mean, maybe there's some wicked people who do. I don't know. How many people do you know of with the name Joseph? Joseph sacrificed his world. And in fact, if you read the Gospels, how many times is Joseph mentioned? Just about none other than here. Yeah, maybe one other time. He, he's, he's, he, he's very nondescript, but look at the wonderful example that he leaves and obviously the blessing that he had. The blessing in life, 
the blessing in death to go to heaven and be with God because he followed God, the blessing of being the adoptive father of our Savior. Well, there's a third... uh, Herod gained the world but lost his soul. Joseph sacrificed the world but gained a Savior. Let's look at another another reception. Turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Little character here in the story who's just mentioned as we go by. Luke chapter 2. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. It was, a, it was a census with a tax attached. The census took place while Cornelius was governing Syria, so they all went to be registered. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David to Bethlehem to be registered with his wife. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. The innkeeper. Uh, The innkeeper received Christ with ignorance. He didn't know who Christ was. He didn't reject Christ. Uh, The Romans were requiring everybody to go to their hometown there were, would, Bethlehem would have been full of people like Mary and Joseph, travelers looking for a place to stay. They were just three more people in the crowd. The innkeeper didn't know who Mary and Joseph was, didn't know who the baby was he was carrying. I doubt Joseph tried to convince him. Can you imagine? Uh, you go to the inn. Do you have a room? No, no rooms. Could I tell you about this baby that's about to be born? Dude, I don't have time. I got things to do. I got people to care for. I got water to haul. My wife's cooking food and cleaning up from after the guests. I'm sorry, it's nothing personal, but I'm busy. The innkeeper didn't hate Jesus. He had no idea who he was dealing with, and he was preoccupied with his busyness. He didn't hate Jesus. He was just too busy. The innkeeper's reception of Christ would have been something like, you can come in, but I don't know when I'll be able to get to you. You know, sit over there. Maybe maybe I won't be busy tomorrow, the next day, the next day. In contrast to the innkeeper is the reception of the wise men who received Christ with diligent investigation. I mean, these guys, among everybody in the Christmas story, uh, outside of Mary and Joseph, just went the extra mile. Uh, We read about them a little bit in Matthew chapter 2, and uh, um, we, we can continue that on just a little bit. They heard the word from the king, Matthew 2, 9. And they departed, and behold, the star that they'd seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And they came into the house, and they worshipped, and they left, went home another way. 
These wise men were from someplace in the east, probably the area we call Iraq today, was several hundred miles away from Bethlehem. Um, they were part scientist, part spiritual guru. They had probably been studying the Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah, at least the ones that Daniel had. And perhaps they had the whole Old Testament there and had been studying that. And so, you know, they, they were aware of the Jewish concept, which is there's going to be coming this uh, deliverer, savior guy, and he's going to be a spiritual and a political figure. And they were aware of that, as they probably were aware of other countries and their cultural ideas, they would have called them. And, and, and they were most likely students of the stars, um, both for what we would call scientific purposes and spiritual purposes, both astronomy and astrology. And one day, this special star appeared. And it would appear that God told them, that star goes with the guy you've been reading about. Now, the, the most significant thing about these guys is they said... Let's go check it out. And they packed up their camels, and they headed across the desert, and apparently it took somewhere in the neighborhood of two years for, from the time they were first made aware until they got to where Jesus was. And you say, well, how do you base that? You base that on the fact that Herod asked them, when did the star appear? And he killed all the, child, all the boy children two years old and younger. So somewhere between one and two years is the time frame. Now, you know, the star appears, and, and who knows what it all took to get everybody together and get everybody moving. You ever try to plan a family reunion? Just to get everybody to come to one place. I mean, some of these guys probably had to talk to their friends, go, come on, let's go. It'll be fun. Dude, we've been looking at this, and come on, come on, yeah, yeah. And finally, okay, road trip, and there they go. All of this work, all of this effort, and they come to Herod. Now here's what proves they really were serious about finding Christ. They ask directions. <laughs> they were men who asked directions. How humble is that? That's really humble. That's why a GPS unit was invented, you know. You don't have to ask directions anymore. It's awesome. They, went, they, they put out all kinds of effort to come and find this person called the King of the Jews. And they found him and they rejoiced with great joy. They were wise men who were seeking the Christ like these men. The next day John, the Baptist, stood with two of his disciples. Now you remember that John... Uh, the you know, child of Elizabeth and Zacharias, he was born to be what we theologically, we call him the forerunner of Christ. He, his job was to come out and preach to Israel, get right with God because the Messiah is coming, basically. And he, he was doing that for several months before Christ started his ministry. And so here's John, he, and he had disciples. In other words, there were, there were people who followed him as a prophet teacher of Israel, and he's standing with his disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, 
Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. Messiah is the, the Old Testament word. Christ is the New Testament word. We have found him. What does that imply? It implies they were looking for him. They were waiting for him. They knew the Old Testament scripture. If they were really studious, they would have looked at the timing between Daniel and their own day and said, you know, if Daniel was right, we're getting close to the time when he should be coming. They said, we have found the Messiah. The innkeeper couldn't be bothered with a newborn child. He had work to do. Herod didn't want anybody who would rule his life, but the wise men reoriented their life in order to meet Christ. They said, this is important. And they had to drop what they were doing and pay attention to him in order to come and meet him. And the wise men stand not only in contrast to the innkeeper, but in contrast to another group of men who gave Jesus a cold reception. Back in Matthew chapter 2, we've already read the passage. The, these people are the, the religious leaders. Herod gathered the chief priests and the scribes and said, where is the Christ, the prophesied Old Testament Messiah? Where is he to be born? And they knew exactly where he was supposed to be born, in Bethlehem of Judea. The chief priest, the term chief priest, includes several people. When we see the word chief priest, we just think of that one guy going into the temple once a year. But the chief priest would have included the current chief priest, maybe the past chief priest, maybe a couple of them past. There would have been the captains of the temple police and the other high priests and maybe some of the high ranking of, of other priests. This is a, a group of people. And the scribes, of course, were the educated men who for a living copied the Old Testament. And they might have also copied other documents. Somebody would come and say, will you, will you take a letter for me? People used to do that because they couldn't write. And these men were educated men, and, and, and so they would, they would take Genesis 1, and they would copy it all down. And if you were really wealthy, you could pay them to copy the Old Testament for you. Well, you can imagine if your whole life is copying the Bible, you're reading and copying, reading and copying. After a while, you know that really well. And that's why these guys are sometimes called lawyers in the New Testament. And so they knew where Christ was to be born. They knew where Christ was to be born. They knew his characteristics. But do you see any of them say to the wise men, can we go with you? I was in Washington, D.C. once years ago and Went to a men's Bible study at this little church that I was, I was staying with some folks on my way to go somewhere else. And, and after the Bible study on Saturday morning, I said, I'm going to go down and see the sights, you know, downtown Washington, D.C. And one of the 20-year-old men there said to me, can I go with you? I said, sure. He said, I haven't been there since I was in kindergarten. He lived in Washington, D.C., and when I got the map and started reading it, he didn't even know how to read a map. And so we just went around, saw places. He was curious, just naturally curious. Hey, what's going on here? And wanted to come and see. These guys didn't even have any natural curiosity. At the very least, you'd think, you guys are out of your mind. 
We're the really smart people here, and you're here telling us the king of the Jews is born. You don't know what you're talking about, but you know what? I'm going to play along because I want to be there when you find out he's not the guy, and I'm going to go, told you so. They didn't even want that. No serious inquiry, no foolish inquiry. They just kind of like, whatever. Indifference. Indifference. Look at this interchange with John the Baptist. Now this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites. It's the same ruling group of people. They said, who are you? John's out there preaching and, and they're thinking, is this the Messiah that was supposed to come? He confessed and said, I am not the Christ. And they said, well, what then? Are you Elijah? That was a common way. They believed that Elijah was going to reappear and be the forerunner that he was. Are you Elijah? I am not. Are you the prophet? That was another way they referred. They thought there was going to be this person along with the Messiah called the prophet. And he said, no. And they said, who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, those who were sent were from the Pharisees. And they asked him saying, why then do you baptize if you're not the Christ or Elijah or the prophet? I read the scripture just to tell you they had a whole series of thoughts about the Messiah. They, this wasn't like, oh, oh, I don't, oh, what's going on? What's about Bethlehem? No, they knew Bethlehem. They knew what he was supposed to do. They had all of this knowledge. It would have been completely natural for them to follow along and check it out. The religious leaders would have welcomed Jesus as long as he didn't upset their carefully crafted lives. If they could have added him to their system, and if he would have stayed on the margin, it would have been okay. They worshipped God in their own way. They were in control of their own lives. And Jesus would have upset that. We read about that in Matthew 15. The scribes and the Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? That's a code word, tradition of the elders, for rules about following the Old Testament law. It was not the Old Testament law, it was rules they made up. Why do your disciples not follow the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands when they eat bread. They had a ritual about washing your hands just a certain way, and then that made you completely you know, pure and ready to eat. Otherwise, you defile yourself by eating. It was not an Old Testament regulation. They had made it up. And he answered and said, Why do you transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father and mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother... I, I could have supported you, but I've already dedicated all my possessions to God. Then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching his doctrine the commandments of men. The scribes were willing to receive Christ as long as he didn't change anything. 
okay, you're a religious guy, we get that. Don't come in here and tell me how to live my life. It's very similar to Herod. Eventually they got to the same place as Herod, that is trying to put Christ to death. But in contrast to that, we see the reception of Mary who received Christ with complete dedication. Turn to Luke chapter 1, please. Luke chapter 1. Verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin who was engaged to a man whose name was Joseph the house of, of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. The angel said, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and he shall call his, you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever. Over the kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be? Since I have never known a man. I've never had sex with a man. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Now Mary clearly didn't understand everything. She asked questions. She she. she She's like, oh, I don't, I can't understand. God asked her to turn her life upside down. God asked her to risk her reputation. If it would have been hard for Joseph to explain Mary, how hard would it have been Mary to explain the baby bump? No, really, God is the father then people would think she was crazy. Crazy and impure. God also asked her to risk her marriage. Here she's engaged to a, she is a righteous girl engaged to a righteous man in her day and in her circle. That was the dream. And God comes along and says, put your dream on the altar for me. And of course, he also asked her to risk her life. Uh, we don't know exactly how well they were following the Old Testament law, but if she was, had no good explanation for the, being with child and not being married, she could have been put to death. But in verse 38, we hear her reception. Behold, the handmaid of the Lord. I just have to believe that Mary knew this, this, this little central truth from the Old Testament, which even today is repeated over and over by Jewish people. 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And when God came along through an angel and said, Mary, you're going to be with child from God, she said, okay. I'm sure there was some trepidation. I'm sure she struggled. But she submitted, not because she understood everything, but because she believed God. How have you received Christ in your life? I I know he's knocked on your door. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and dine or have fellowship with him and he with me. And I understand this verse is primarily written to those who are believers in Christ who need to welcome Christ fully and wholly. How do you receive Christ? Does he get an all-access pass to your life? I was working away in my office in Tukwila one day when I heard knocking on the front door. Like here, we have one door that we kind of come in all the time, and then we have these other main front doors that were wooden, and I'm hearing knocking, and, and, I was only, and I get up, and I go to the door, and I open the door, and there's Art Rohrheim, the founder of Awana, and David Ginn, the current president of Awana, and a pastor friend of mine who worked for them. And I'm not that often speechless, but I just thought, I am unworthy. (laughs) I don't want to compare them to God, but sort of like, what are you guys doing here? I I didn't say that. Uh, Like with my friend Gandhi, I kept my mouth closed. Hi. They wanted to come tell me about some new program Awana had. Okay, come right on in. There's my office. Have a chair. (laughs) What would you do You heard the knock on the door at your home. And you went and opened it, and it was Jesus Christ himself in person. I'm pretty sure most of you say, well, come in. If nothing else, from curiosity. Jesus is always knocking on your heart's door, unless he's already inside. He's knocking today. You know how I know? I just told you he is. <laughs> he sent his son, the one that we, we commemorate with the, with the Christmas tree and the lights and poinsettias and all of these things. And we rejoice in the birth of our Savior, but he grew up to be the Savior on the cross. And he says, I want to come into your life and I want to rule it for your good. Will you receive him like Herod? Like the wise men? Like the innkeeper? Like Mary? Like Joseph? How will you receive him today? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for knocking on my heart's door. And I thank you for not stopping until I said yes. Yes, be my Savior, and even more so, yes, be my Lord. I know my life would not be good without you.
So I thank you. I praise you. And I pray that everyone here knows the joy of full fellowship with Christ. If there are some who need to believe, help them to believe. If there are some who need to say no to sin and yes to the Savior, help them to do that. Help us to go out of here rejoicing in the birth of our Savior. I pray in his name. Amen.